welcome you into another episode of Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. The level of macroeconomic issues and related complexities for suppliers this year is enough to send your PowerPoints into a frenzy. What economic conditions will affect the supply base this year and what could impact future production plans as we edge into 2024? And with the UAW strike now settled, what are the complications of a restart? Two leading executives recently shared their views with suppliers, and now they'll join me this week as guests on Automotive Insiders. Their experience tells you all you need to know about their authority in their data and their predictions. Today, it's Lori Harbour and Kara Walton, both of Harbour Results, Inc. Lori is president and CEO of the company. Kara is a director at the firm. She runs the company's Harbor HQ service, which includes organizing, planning, and directing data and information for Harbor IQ members and partners. They will run through the gamut of where we've been in 2023 and what's ahead in 24. It's Lori and Kara on Automotive Insiders. Lori, what a pleasure to have you on Automotive Insiders. Welcome back. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be here. Kara, welcome to you as well. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you. We're going to have a lot to talk about here. I know you both have shared your own views in front of the um, uh, supplier audience uh, of late. Had a lot to talk about because if we if we get into either economics or uh, the effects of the strike, there's inevitably an endless path to go down here. Lori, let's start with you on the strike. Uh, give us your read on where we are in terms of the impact and implications on suppliers as a result of of the UAW strike. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been an unprecedented period of time with the strike. And uh, obviously, as we sit here today, we have at least one OEM that has a, a tentative agreement. And, and maybe by the time this airs, we have more. Um, but the reality is that that the supply base will still have sort of a short term and a longer term um, effect or implication as a result of it. For tool suppliers specifically, we're probably going to see a few delays in launching some of the programs that they would start to see here in the next one to two quarters. Uh, I think that you know if we can settle this quickly, it, it won't be too bad. That the, we'll, we'll have a lot more um, launches that take place, and the tool suppliers will be in a good spot. Several production suppliers are seeing down volumes, and frankly, we have a vulnerable supply base. So we may lose some of the smaller suppliers that don't have the wherewithal financially. But um, the sooner we can get it solved, obviously, the, the quicker they can return to, to a level of profitability. You're pretty clear, Lori, when you say that um, strike notwithstanding, it's been a bumpy road for suppliers. When you go back to the pandemic and then you go all the way over to investing in BEVs, you showed a graphic recently in front of the supplier audience that was a winding road. Take us down that road if you could. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a period of sort of high highs and low lows, right? I mean, obviously, COVID was was unprecedented itself. Um, and then we ended up with all these supply chain issues, partially driven by labor and lack of material and just the pandemic itself. So that slowed down car sales. And then we started to see things pick up again at late last year. And we started to see suppliers actually starting to kind of, you know, get strong again and volumes were picking up. And then, you know, labor, of course, has been a challenge throughout this whole thing. And prices of vehicles kind of soared and, and incentives went down, but that drove a lot of profitability for the OEMs 
which then in turn is allowing them to make a tremendous amount of investment in this new technology of battery electric, but also ice product, right? New ice products coming in droves over the next couple of years. So then of course we hit the strike, right? And, and the UAW and the Unifor labor negotiations, and that kind of put a little bit of a pause and hopefully will, you know, return. But it, you know, the up and down, up and down has created quite a lot of challenge in just managing business as a small and medium-sized supplier. Kara, I liked some of your material that you showed recently to suppliers and your macro update. <laughs> you said it best. The economy is pretty okay. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the economy being pretty okay. Yeah. So it's always tough to come up with good economic terms, right? Um, pretty okay is obviously not a technical term, but I, I think <laughs> does it gives a pretty accurate depiction right now. Um, and, and kind of similar to Lori's commentary centered around that bumpy road, right? It's been a bit of a bumpy road for the last three years in the economy too. Um, and those two things are obviously quite correlated. Um, again, if you go back and think pre-COVID, we had all this growth happening from 2000 to 2019 in a really positive position. And then COVID occurred. Um, and obviously that kind of put us into this COVID-induced recession. But from our perspective, really the reason why it's pretty okay today is because despite us going into a recession back in 2020, um, we didn't see a drop in unemployment. So everybody continued to stay employed. And what then happened is that we continued to have this massive amount of spending. So we had inflation go up and we had all these challenges, but vice versa, the economy generally does well when we have low unemployment. So our kind of challenge today or the, the comment of pretty okay versus good or bad is we're still relatively well employed. We have very low unemployment rates. Inflation is falling interest rate peaks are likely towards their end. Um, but to the same avail, we're seeing durable goods demand go down, right? So we're seeing a drop overall in durable goods demand from that peak back in 2021. Um, so, so there's kind of, there's good and bad in that picture, right? Hence the terminology of, hey, it's pretty okay. Um, but there's, there's some things we need to watch really closely as we go forward and in, into the next three to five years. And when you look at consumer, one of the things I found most fascinating looking through your uh, material is when you, you look at how the consumer has been affected and consumer debt, but more importantly, who is buying new cars today? Mm -hmm. You had a shocking slide that you showed that in 2013, the salary to comfortably own a car was $62,000. That amount now, Kara? I believe it's at 104, right? So we're, we're up over into the, into the triple digits there, um, or up, I guess, six figures, if you will. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's really concerning, right? And I guess concerning is the wrong term because as we talk about it with with car sales specifically, we we basically changed the demographic of a buyer, right? So previously, in order to own a new vehicle, you had to be making decent money. But at that time, when the average comfortable salary for a new car was at more like sixty two, the household income was also in the fifties. So on average, we were still making money that most people, give or take the top forty percent of earners, could afford a new vehicle. Whereas today, we've really changed that demographic to be more like the top 20% of earners. Now, in that same time frame over the last 10 years, we've also seen the number of people in the top 20% of earners, right? This top category of people making the most money has increased. So we've still seen demand for cars in many cases. We've still seen people buying very expensive vehicles. But at the same time, we have some shifts in household dynamics, right? So some people have less money and maybe they're holding onto their vehicles longer. Why we see an average increase in the age of a car, as I'm, as I'm sure your listeners are very aware of, right? Mm -hmm. um, we also have dynamic shifting where maybe households only have one vehicle now because one person works from home full time. So while we've made it 
more challenging, frankly, for someone to own a vehicle. And I don't say we meaning someone specific, but but the economy, right? This global picture as we've evolved has made it that you have to have a lot more money to own a new vehicle. Simultaneously, we have all these other shifts and kind of puts and takes that are happening in terms of automotive demand when you look at it from an economic perspective. Let's drill down a little deeper into the health of the industry. Lori, let's talk about tooling. And you have um, a vast amount of data that shows significant changes to tooling forecast. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, we, we look at it every single quarter. We're, we're utilizing forecast data to develop. What does that look like for the tool supplier? In the second quarter we uh, of this year, we presented some data that now when I look at it a quarter later is shifting from you know, removal of some things from this fourth quarter this year and moving into next year. So delays in programs, essentially, largely driven by the strike, the strike, right? So the way we look at it is tool suppliers are going to receive quotes about 18 months before start of production of vehicles. So things that they were going to see in the third and fourth quarter of 23 would be like 25 model year vehicles. So there was things planned for launch that they just, the OEM said, look, I got to move this in the first quarter. I don't know what the strike is going to bring, how bad it will get, and, and we need to delay some programs. Um, but all in all, the, the industry, it's a very bullish picture. I mean, we've got about $25 billion worth of tooling that needs to be sourced in a four-year period of time. That is incredibly high. We haven't seen numbers like that since 2017. So there's a lot of great opportunity out there for the tool suppliers. The challenge is, where will the OEM source it? Because we get a lot of tools out of low-cost country regions like China. So these, these American and Canadian toolmakers really have to fight to compete against low-cost countries. And in fact, you talk about the OEMs needing to reduce CapEx, right? Right. I mean, the challenge right now beyond the obvious, which is higher costs, not just because of this, the, the pending labor negotiations, but... You know, material costs have gone up from tier one suppliers to OEMs dramatically since the pandemic. So they all took on price increases. They're they're adding content to vehicles, you know, left and right in many cases, but also investing billions of dollars in transforming assembly plants for, you know, electrified types of vehicles and then launching and doing the R&D for those kinds of new technology. Now you add on increased wages to the tune of 20 to 25%. It just raises the cost structure. Now, the last piece of that is I've also added about 100 new models into the marketplace since, you know, 2017, 2018, new battery electric products that were never on the market. They all require new tools. So the problem is that the OEMs just can't handle doubling capital expenditures. And so that's what drives some of them into low-cost countries or maybe some elimination of part content as, as needed to be able to afford all the tools they need to launch these products. Kara, you talk about black swan events. And of course, you know we go back 20, 25 years from the dot-com bus to SARS, to Brexit, to COVID, obviously. How should we plan going forward? Yeah, um, a, a great question. So I think from our perspective, right, the the thing about black swan events is they've gone up in frequency, right? So they've, ha they've happened far more often. And when you talk about a black swan event, you're looking at something that's unplanned that has an impact on the economy. And, and at the end of the day, on the automotive industry in some capacity or another, whether it be the S&P dropping, consumer health, all of these things. Um, we quite obviously don't know what the next black swan event would, will be. Otherwise, it wouldn't be considered a black swan event. But what we do know is that another one will come, 
right? Whatever it may be, um, something else is going to come. So from our perspective at Harbor, in order for us to better plan for the future, we've got to be ready and be flexible. Um, so, so in my opinion, from an economic perspective, we have to be ready for this next Black Swan event, whatever it may be, to the best of our ability, right? I know it's like saying, get ready for something that you don't know what you're getting ready for, um, but get ready and be flexible to the best of your ability and then watch those things that you can watch. So can we have a better understanding in our organization of the end consumer of our product? In most cases, I know it would be a car, but if someone's purchasing something different, can we make sure we understand the health of that end consumer? Can we be watching these black swan events and all these geopolitical issues and the impact that it has on our employees? If we are in a business where we have people working for us, not only does this have an impact on the economy, but also there's probably some fatigue in some of your employees, right? Every single time we see a new headline with some other new thing that we weren't aware of. So how do we better plan and truthfully come back to how we better run whatever we can control within our organizations um, to do the best we can? Because it's a rocky road, right? It's the bumpy road comment was a great way to start it. Um, and I don't think Lori would say that it's going to just smooth out here in the near future. So how do we better plan accordingly, um, knowing that we're still on that bumpy road? And Lori, I think the final word to you here, I think you'd probably say it all boils down to leadership, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, the the supplier base that um, is supporting the automotive industry or even any manufacturing industry, the best of the best clearly have very smart, edgy leaders that are challenging the status quo instead of just, you know, taking things at face value. And frankly, we have this incredibly young generation of people coming into the marketplace and their first thought isn't manufacturing, but we need that younger generation to come in with their capability that frankly, some of us older folks didn't, didn't have in our college education um, they're smart. They're they're interested in efficiency. They have a lot of great new ideas. We have to link them with the experienced generation. So manufacturing doesn't go away from this country. We've got to be able to bring them in and, and show them the passion we all had for it back in the day and have them take us to a new level because I really believe they can. Wonderful conversation. We could go on for hours. Thank you so much for your insight, both of you. Thanks for having us, Jason. Appreciate it. Thank, thanks for being on the program. That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. And thanks again to my guests this week, Lori Harbour and Kara Walton, both of Harbour Results. And thanks for listening to Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk to you again next time. 